Well, the grace and the peace of our Lord be with everyone gathered here on this campus today. I want to welcome uh, not only those who are gathered in this room, but those who are uh, worshiping the rest of our church family, worshiping in the Family Life Center into this time of study, and those who are part of our extended JCBC family online watching from wherever it is that you are today. I want you to know a friend of mine. Many of you already know Val Oliver. Uh, Val is a light. There is a light in this woman who, no matter what shadow she is near, it illumines the darkness. There is something about uh, her faith and her love of people and of our Lord that I just want you to know. And here we are in this conversation. Uh, Today's the fifth part of a five-part conversation about bearing witness, learning to be a witness for Christ without feeling creepy, right? And we've been having some help at the beginning of each sermon. And today, Valerie has, has agreed to, to help us get this sermon started. And so, Val, I just want to say thank you to you again. Welcome. Yeah, and also um, give you a couple of uh, questions to kind of get started. Uh, the first question has been the same as each of our other friends who've been up here, which is, uh, how long have you been coming to JCBC? And when you came, why did you come for the first time? And why have you stayed? What, is, what has kept you here? Well, I've been coming to JCBC for about five years. Okay. Just after you came. Okay. And um, I came because I was looking for a church that would give good, strong biblical principles and also would sing some nice rousing song, yes. Fanny Crosby, yes. Julia uh, Ward Howe, right. you know, the Wesley Brothers okay. and things like that. Yeah. And I think that, I, and, and somewhere that I could become a part of the fellowship, an mm. intimate part of the fellowship. And I've, I've definitely found that here. Okay. I, I love being here. I do greeting for some people here uh, know me through that. And okay. there's something intangible okay. about JCBC mm. that is just, there's a warmth, there's, there's, there's a love. You know, the people are just extraordinary. Okay. That's good. Something intangible. Yes. Yeah, sometimes we've talked about that as the, uh, you're right, and I would agree with you, as the JCBC experience is made up of so many different experiences, but you kind of can't put it into one word, uh, but it's, right. it's what you've, you've described. And uh, Val does uh, do the, the greetings at the door, so greeting <laughs> is greeting. I'm just translating. As a grant, translating. So she does the greeting, okay, at the doors. And, and so we're grateful for that. But here's the thing. This is part of why I wanted to sit with you in this time, um, Val, because bearing witness uh, is something that each of us and all of us are called to do, to find a way to, to bear witness, to be a light into our world. But you've had a unique story because, yeah, you came here about five years ago, but much of the time you're in Jamaica. Other times you're here, back and forth. And then recently you've, you've had a transition, a move. Yes, Tell me, tell me something about what it means to you to be a witness or to bear a witness in both regions where you come and in transition. Say something to us that, who maybe have lived here for a long time and, and haven't experienced uh, what you've experienced. Well, quite often I'm all over the world. <laughs> yes. And um, there have been, wherever I've been, ever since started coming to JCBC, it doesn't matter where on the planet I am. I, if the time zone allows, mm. I connect online. I love it. I, I just 
can't get enough of it. And um, So Val, you make us a global church. That's what happens then. <laughs> Wherever you are, if you're tuning in, okay. Yes. All right, go ahead. Uh, so, and, and that for me, but it's not the same as being here. Right. It's, That's right. It's, it's totally different to being physical here. Yeah. And um, what I try to do is to witness. I have this little red Bible that I walk around with, and it's on my desk in the mm. office. Mm. And my manager, when he first saw it, said to me, you know, we're not a company to espouse biblical beliefs or anything. And I said, that's fine. You know, if somebody comes and says something about it, I'll deal with it then. In six years, they never did. Okay, right, right. <laughs> and in fact, that Bible has become the catalyst of a lot of discussions mm. and witnessing to people in, in the organization. And it's been a source of comfort to a lot of people as well in that they have come, picked it up, and gone and read okay. it and done, done some things with it. And that's been great. And I don't know what it is about me, but, you know, I'm a miserable also. But God's spirit has just, you know, blossomed in my life. And people come, and they're quite attracted to me. And I can say to them, well, you know, it's not me. It's, it's just God, and hopefully you can see that in me. So say something about transition. Mm-hmm. You've gone through a, a serious transition lately, right. uh, moving here somewhat permanently now, right? Correct. And talk to us about what it means for transition or change to impact your capacity to be a witness for the Lord. Well, I, I think it's very important to be here because now I'm stable, I can be here more regularly. And um, the experience I've had before all of, traveling all over the world and living all over the world, it's taught me something very, very, that I consider to be quite important. And that is the amassment of, of um, physical, um, material stuff is inversely proportional to happiness and joy. I've seen this. So wait, in, say that again. <laughs> So I think you just said something. So say it again. So material wealth yes. items, material wealth is inversely proportional, inversely proportional. To, to happiness, to happiness joy. joy. Yes. Say more. All right, what's I've that seen mean? this. I've, lived, I've had the blessing of living in places like Ethiopia. I've mm-hmm. seen it there. Mm-hmm. I've seen it in Peru, some of the poorest areas in, in Peru. Yeah. I've seen this in India mm-hmm. and other places like this. And the joy that these people exude in mm. their life, they have very little. And sometimes I'm jealous of the joy that they exude in their lives. But, but a lot of us, including myself in the Western world, never satisfied mm. with what we have. We're so richly blessed and okay. we don't even realize it. That's powerful. Sometimes. So listen, I may just sit on the front row and let you <laughs> do to just preach, all right? Because what you just said, and, and you gave me a preview last night on the phone yes. about what you want to talk about. What she just said, what Val just said, I want you to remember, because in a minute before having, re- or after having prepared the sermon, she just landed the plane on the runway of the sermon <laughs> in just a minute. I want you to remember what she said, that happiness and joy is inversely proportional to stuff. Yes. Okay. Yes. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Okay. Okay. So, so tell me something, uh, and it's so true. You, Ethiopia, <laughs> Peru, I, maybe I, I don't want to leave it. Maybe we just stay up here all morning. <laughs> we were in Kenya, Kenya, several years ago. Went to a woman's 
house in a village. I didn't plan to say this part, but her name is Consolata. She didn't know we were coming. Here's a van full of white Americans who show up unannounced, and she dropped everything that she was doing, took her savings, because hospitality uh, means everything, yes. took her savings and bought what probably amounted to about a month's worth of income to buy just a few, a few servings of uh, grizzly um, beef. She brought it home, made it into a stew, and it was a, it was a feast. Yes. Everything that she did was with precision to make space for joy. Yes. And it's almost as if, if that space were polluted with stuff, there would be no space for the intimate connections of human beings and the sharing of something more beautiful than, than what you can buy with plastic, right? Yes. Yes. So you've got me provoked on that. You've messed me up now this morning. <laughs> But I have a story to give you. Give it to I, me. I went Come on. To, I sponsored some children, and I went to visit one of them in Uganda. Okay. And um, apparently his mother said, I don't believe she's coming because we're not good enough for anybody to travel this far to come and see us. Mm -hmm. And I turned up, and this woman was ever so thankful. And I flew in, and I was flying back out the next day. And in her thankfulness, as her expression of thankfulness and joy, she gave me a live chicken, mm. and I'm flying out the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and the representative said to me, this lady probably spent about two months' salary just wow. to get these wow. gifts for wow. you. Gosh, okay. You know? okay. Of course, I gave the chicken to somebody for their dinner or laying eggs. Right, <laughs> right. So there's something that's going on yes. in the heart of a person that allows someone in what we would measure as poverty to be as generous as anyone that you and I have ever met in what we would perceive as wealth. Yes. Yeah? Right. Well, I do have another question for you and then we're gonna transition here. So Val, part of what we've been saying for the last few weeks has been that bearing witness really is about learning to pay attention to the thing that God is up to in your life right now. Just being able to be aware of the presence and the action of God that is always in us. Stay awake, stay awake to that. So just my final question for you is, as you think about what God has been up to in your life lately, what is it? What, what, have, you, what have you seen God up to in you lately that you're learning and trying to pay attention to? I think God is teaching me and, and sending me in the path of giving more of myself to others. Mm -hmm in the terms of services, mm. yeah. Um, I'm actually looking very, very seriously at um, being a child advocate mm. or something like that mm. and going into nonprofit work. My problem is that I have problems listening to God. You know? sure. And it's very important for me and I think God's honing me mm. at the moment into okay. being an obedient servant, listening, mm. obeying, and then doing. And then having the faith to do it yes, to, to, with indeed. what you hear. And okay. that's where I'm, I'm, I'm heading. Okay. Well, I'm grateful to you. you. And I'm grateful you. for you. Um, would you join me in thanking Val for being with us today? Thank you, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. These are powerful, powerful reminders about what it means to be a witness, to pay attention, to tune the ears of the heart, and then muster the courage of the heart to act on what you hear, 
So let's take just a moment and offer a word of prayer and we'll move into our time of study. Good and loving God, we pray that what Val has just reminded us of would be true in each of us. We pray that you this day would show us how to tune our hearts so clearly to your voice that we are able to discern what you are up to in us. And then by the power of your spirit moving in us and through us, we pray for the courage to act upon what we hear and what we see. And so now as we move into a time of study in which we consider what your call is upon our lives, this is our prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, our hearts inspire and fill us with your holy fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. But if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. We pray in the name of Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen. Amen. So today is the fifth part, the concluding part, the culminating part of our ongoing series, Can I Get a Witness? How to Share Your Faith Without Feeling Creepy. And we have talked for the last five weeks about several reminders. And we've talked about what it means to be building a story, really. That's what we're doing. We're crafting the story of our encounter with Christ so that we're able to talk about that story so that others may encounter the same Christ. If I can do a bit of a, maybe a two-minute review, I'll remind you that on week number one, I said that you are bearing witness already whether you think so or not and the reality is the fruit of your life is your greatest witness before you even craft words to describe your witness in Christ it's the fruit of your life there is a good tree and a bad tree and perhaps we begin our witness by trying to remain aware of what kind of fruit we are serving to those who are around us right week number two we said in week number two that you and I are part of an unfinished story always. So how do you tell your story when you realize it is still unfinished? We confessed that all of us are imperfect people with uh, unfinished stories and that maybe that's the point. Maybe in our vulnerability and unfinishedness, there is some woundedness or some place where we're weak, some place where God is still working that allows us to talk from there to others whose lives are also imperfect and also unfinished. Week number three, so I wasn't going to spin again because I'm going to get dizzy if I do that again. So week number three, we talked about family. We talked about how family is the hardest audience we have because our families have the goods on us. They know when we rise and fall. They know when we win and lose. They know what we're like when we are at our worst. And we talked about the need to live congruent lives so that our inner life and our outer life are so consistent that what we say to them in our witness matches what we do among them. And we talked about not just congruence, but confluence. 
that all of our streams of love and hope for our kids, for our spouses, for our in-laws and outlaws, all of the hope that we have for them to get unstuck and to live in Christ, well, it's nothing in comparison to the mighty river of God's hope for them. And we talked about the need to remember that we're not doing this alone, that any effort we have to love our family into faith is really simply our invitation to join God in what God is already up to in their lives, attempting from the time they drew their first breath to draw them to him. Well, week number four, last week we talked about the power of inviting someone to church. And we talked about sometimes having to get over the nervousness of bringing someone to the Lord by remembering when you bring them to church, you are bringing them to the Lord. Because if our church is alive with resurrection, if there are stories of transformation happening within the lives of individuals and couples and marriages and families, if there is a deepening of the faith and inner aliveness, and there is, then what, what you're doing is you're bringing them not just to church, but to the alive, risen body of Christ. And in that environment, transformation is possible. But all that we've been doing for the last four weeks before this one has been prolegomena. It's been prelude. It's been a setup because the story is not quite finished until we talk about today's topic. Can I just tell you that one of the biggest challenges you and I have is the topic of today when it comes to our witness. Without talking about this particular part of our story, then everything that we've been talking about, about building our story, can fall apart. All that we've been talking about, about building your story or the gospel according to you, it all falls apart if we don't address this. And it is just this. What you and I do with money, with money, will have an impact greater than we can possibly imagine on our witness in the world. And so when I say that, as soon as every pastor announces what the topic is for the day, they hear doors shut in the minds of people. They hear like drawbridges closing up on the hearts, you know, oh, here we go, it's gonna be a money talk today. But I'm asking you for a few moments to consider the reality that we cannot be the witnesses we're called to be in the world until we address the all-consuming and sometimes spiritually crippling impact that our relationship with money has on our witness. You know why I'm talking about money today? Because Black Friday is coming. Come on, can I get a witness? And yes, it's coming and we are about to lose our minds. It's already happened. Two days ago, I, I go to to American Eagle because I got to get some more jeans because I don't fit in the ones I've been wearing. You can tell my jacket's not even buttoned today. I got to do some more crunches or something. And I go in there, I'm like, I need a new pair of jeans. I mean, I gotta, I, I've got to fit in these things. I walk in, they say, hey, welcome to our Good Friday sale. And I said, it's not Good Friday. And they said, oh, no, no, it's the Good Friday before Good Friday sale. And I said, are you serious? I thought, I can't believe, are you serious? They said, yes, everything's 40% off. And I said, oh, well then give me two. 
We're about to lose our minds because you and I are about to enter into a season that can be the highest, holiest season of the entire year when we imagine the arrival of the incarnate Word of God. Christ born in and among us. And yet, you know what it's really going to be? It's going to be a season of worship, yes. But if we enter into it unexamined, it will be a season in which we worship stuff. Come on, can I get a witness? We can worship stuff because, well, is worship a strong word to you, Sean? No, because worship is simply ascribing the thing that you value the very most in the world the worth that is in your heart. It means ascribing to something worth and value and esteem. And you bow down in adoration of the thing that you esteem most. And in many ways during this season, we go crazy because we bow down in pursuit of stuff, material possessions, the accumulation, the accruing of wealth and material goods. And when we do, it's as if we are kneeling at an altar. It is worship because we pursue it. And the very thing that you spend the better part of your energy pursuing, your mind's energy, your heart's energy, your body's energy, the thing that you pursue most or chase most is the object of your worship. I find it interesting that in our pockets, some of us on campus may even have a, a piece of plastic with the word chase on it, right? Because it's, it's truth in advertising. It is what we chase. And in America, it has been said before, we put our motto, in God we trust, or that's not our motto, but we put in God we trust on our money because we put in God we trust on the God in whom we trust. And if gone unexamined, our relationship with money can have a crippling impact on the witness that we have in this world. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever it is that you value most in the world, that will consume the better part of your mind's attention and your heart's affection. It will take the work of your hands, the sweat of your brow, the thing that occupies your mind and heart most days is your treasure. And where your treasure is, that is where your heart will also be. And if I could say it a different way, I would say it this way. What you do with money tells a story. The question is, what kind of story is it telling? Every year around this time, I like to take a peek up on my shelf where I keep this jar and I show it to you from time to time to remind you what's going on and it's growing. Inside this jar are thousands and thousands of pieces of confetti, credit card confetti. Every time we have a Financial Peace University class, we offer the opportunity for those going through the class to come to a place where they recognize that they are so far in debt that in order to break the cycle, the self-destructive cycle of this relationship with money, for some, they have to cut the card in order to stop the bleeding. And we, we chop it up and we, we make confetti out of it. And before you get all defensive, well, but my credit card gives me air miles and my credit card lets me shop at American Eagle and, you know, whatever. Before you do, put that aside for a minute. And I just want you to consider that inside this jar 
are stories. Thousands of shards of unfulfilling stories in which someone along the way and many someones along the way have come to the place where they realized their pursuit, their chase, their their relationship with money that they had needed to change. And for a thousand different reasons, none of which we judge or condemn, but for a thousand different reasons, they came to a place where they recognized enough is enough. Something has jumped the tracks and I have to change something because it is interfering not only with my freedom, my life, my relationships with my family, but it's beginning to interfere with my spiritual relationship with Christ because I can I cannot do the things I want to do for the sake of Christ while under this load of debt. And so inside this jar are stories. And I just want to remind you that every one of us has a relationship with money. And every relationship writes a story. And what story is your relationship with money Writing, it leads to this question here. I want you to consider in worship. What does your relationship with money say about what you value the most? What does your relationship say about what you value the most? Well, Sean, why are you talking about a relationship? I'm just trying to live here. I mean, I'm just trying to do the things I got to do and pay the things I got to pay. Yeah, I know. But you know, I've said for a long time that if you take all of our words and put them aside, the two greatest truth tellers about our spiritual life are our calendar and our bank statement. Because we can spend all kinds of reasons why we have the relationship with money that we currently have, but the truth tellers our calendar and bank statement, how we spend our time and where we spend our money. You know what would be a fun activity? If I could hack into your bank account right now and pull up on the screen, or maybe not yours, but the person sitting next to you. (laughs) Pull up on the screen a report of the last, I don't know, six months worth of expenses. If I could put up on our screen the last six months of your bank activity, what would we see that you value the most? I mean, we see some things that we all have on there. We'd see the mortgage or groceries or school expenses or travel expenses, whatever. But my question to you, beloved, is this, would we see anywhere in the last six months where you have demonstrated that you value some charity? Is there any line item in the last six months bank statement that I could pull up and put up here on the screen that demonstrates the evidence that you believe in bringing food to the hungry and clean water to the thirsty. Is there a receipt somewhere in your pocket for for how you've demonstrated that you value welcoming the stranger or caring for the sick and the imprisoned, the marginalized and the vulnerable? Is there anything that demonstrates that you care at all about your church? I mean, we come every week 
And we receive blessings upon blessings and we come and we are strengthened by the power of community and study. The mind is stimulated in Sunday school class. The heart is lifted by inspirational music. We're challenged by messages and we participate in ministries and missions of all sorts. And in many ways we drive up, we take and we leave. But my question to you is if we pulled up the last six months on your bank statement, would there be any evidence that you actually, literally, physically, financially believe in what we're doing here? Because if we can't pull up on our bank statement at least some evidence, doesn't matter how much or how many zeros are involved, but if I can't pull up on my, on my bank statement some evidence that I believe in the kingdom that Jesus has invited me to help build, then it calls everything into question about what I say. Where the treasure is, that's where the heart will be also. Sean, you have no idea what you're talking about because you don't know my story. You don't know what we're facing. You don't know the transitions we've been through. Listen, I know and I get it. And I speak with the love of a pastor's heart when I say to you, yes. But as the theologian who sat right here a moment ago said, joy, happiness, meaning, fulfillment, contentment, has an inversely proportional relationship with what you have. In the second, Corinthian, second letter to the Corinthians, there's this powerful story. The story blows my mind when I think about what is actually happening in this text. So the setup is this. Paul is going around all of the Macedonian region and he's planting churches and he is encouraging the churches that have existed for a while. But he knows that where he's going, they don't know that back home at the home church in Jerusalem, there's a problem. Because back home at the home church at JCBC Jerusalem, where it all started, they're broke. They've gone through intense persecution and they have no more resources. And now all these amazing things that had begun, ministry to the widows, ministry of care for the vulnerable and the marginalized, ministries of spreading the word of, of Christ's magnificent good news into the world. Now they're all in jeopardy because they don't have the resources to continue the work. And so Paul, because he knows this, Everywhere he's going around the region, he's telling the other churches, look, here's what's happening back at home. And these churches were sprung and developed because of their original vision in Jerusalem. And now the home church is struggling and he's going around collecting and offering for the church in Jerusalem. And then he goes to the Macedonian region and he sees something that blows his mind. These people have gone through intense persecution and suffering a great ordeal of their own, and yet they gave beyond what they should have even given. And now he's bragging on those Macedonian churches saying, listen, you got to get a load out of what these cats did when I came to their church. And this is where we pick up the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that is that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. 
For during a severe ordeal of affliction there in Macedonia, their, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Just listen to that phrase for a minute. Their abundant joy and extreme poverty, or as the apostle Val Oliver would have said, there is an inverse relationship between what you have and joy. These who were impoverished, they had nothing. They were suffering in great affliction, yet their generosity overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And the text continues, for as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry, which is the best part of this whole thing, begging earnestly for their part. That is a pastor's dream at every pledge season. Oh, sorry, pledges are over now. We've ended the pledge season. Oh, but I didn't get mine in. Please, can I pledge? I don't want to be left out of this part of, of investing in the kingdom. So they, they begged earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And the, the text continues... And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. I just want you to get a, get a load out of what's happening in this ancient text as it speaks to our, our contemporary situation. The most powerful verse in that entire scripture was verse five. They gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. In other words, the first thing they did was give to the Lord, give themselves, their hearts, their minds, the lordship of their life. And beloved, when you do, when you give yourself to the Lord, everything about how you have oriented in life changes. They had come to a place where they recognized the great gift that was in Jesus Christ and they gave themselves to the Lord and because of it, it transformed how they viewed and how they did their lives. They recognized that now they belong. They belong to the one who had created them and sustained them and redeemed them from their sins and because they belong to him, they recognized that everything that they they thought belonged to them, actually belongs to God. So what a privilege it is to be able to give back to God the thing that is already God's because they recognized that in welcoming Christ into their lives, they were being invited to create a new way of life with Christ. The way Jesus talked about it was this, the kingdom of heaven established on earth. And the kingdom of heaven is simply a new way to exist right here and right now, a way to exist with each other in which Christ truly is Lord of all. And if we live in this way of life, if we welcome Christ to transform the heart and mind, it changes uh, how we see our neighbors, what we do with our enemies, how we react when we see the vulnerable who are struggling. And if that's happening, and it did in the hearts of the Macedonian Christians, then it means that, oh, I have far more than I think I have to relinquish so that I can be a part of establishing this kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. See, 
your relationship with money tells a story. And I can't think of a story more beautiful than that. So maybe you're at a place today where you're like, you know, that sounds good and right, but I don't know where to start because maybe the thing has already happened and maybe I'm stuck and I'm, I'm waiting for this thing to be paid off. I'm waiting for a new job, maybe waiting for a bonus, a raise, because I can't really start until this thing happens, whatever that thing is. And I want to tell you <laughs> that what I'm talking about is simply taking one step, a step. What you do with money reveals what you value most. So maybe the first step in taking a step is start where you are. Don't start where you should be. Nobody's where you should be. Like the old spiritual used to say, I'm not where I want to be and I'm not where I ought to be, but thank God Almighty, I'm not where I used to be. You start where you are. I've told you before and I'll keep saying it. Laura and I have always been on this journey of giving. We currently give a tithe at 10% of our gross income in the family. Before we give anything to Uncle Sam, we, give, we budget 10% right off the top to give back to the church because we believe in what God is up to here. But we didn't start there. Years ago, we went through years where we were broke and in great debt, and the best we could do is 1% until time passed, and we gave 2%, and we grew and are still growing. You start where you are and ask yourself, what am I currently giving? Because if it's nothing at all, then maybe 2020 is the year to give 1% and start there. Richard Rohr says that we don't think ourselves into new ways of living. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking. The secret to giving is give. Just start where you are. But also, T, talk to God. Talk to God about it. You may have to come to a place where you recognize, God, I, I recognize here and now that everything I have is yours. And I recognize I've gotten into a rhythm where I don't invest in the things that I really do value, which is you and the kingdom and the building of this beautiful existence that your son came to establish. What would you have me do? And maybe with God, you do an experiment. And between now and the turn of the year, you just give like you've never given to see if God will not provide for you upon your step of faith. So you start where you are, you talk to God about it, but then you say to God, help me to eliminate excuses. Eliminate excuses. Well, as soon as I pay this thing off, as soon as I get a, a raise, well, we were out of town and we forgot to take the checkbook to church. I said, we'll just make it up some other time. Prevent the excuses, eliminate them by practicing what we call first fruits giving, where the very first thing you budget in your pay cycle is what you give to God. We give God our best and not our leftovers. That's why I give online. And many of you give online. You know why? It's not emotional. You think of it like a bill. A bill? That's not very churchy. It's not very spiritual. A spiritual thing for a pastor to say. Think of it like a bill. I know. But if you can remove the emotional element from it and recognize I'm making a decision, 
that, that every bit as much as I owe Comcast, I'm going to give my church in a rhythmic way so that we can do the things God wants to do in us and through us. So you start where you are, you talk to God, you eliminate excuses, and you pledge. Oh, here he goes again. You pledge. Why do we pledge? Is it because we can't plan anything without your pledge? No. We're going to plan, we keep moving. The pledge is for you. The pledge is so that you commit to something, so that I commit to something, and I'm held accountable because when you pledge, you write it down and you say, you know what, no matter what I'm going through, I'm attempting to be faithful in this one area in my life. I'm writing it down because my church and my Lord deserve it. Your relationship with money tells a story. What story do you want to tell? So, may you this week be, oh, provoked by what you have heard here this day. May you this week, as you are thinking about the blessings that you have and all the ways that God has poured out grace upon grace over your life, may you become acutely aware that it's been given to you so that it can move through you to a world in great need. And may you in taking a brand new step of faith, recognize that there are more steps to take and with every step we take, he will be with us, leading the way. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the gift of your son, for the gift of being welcomed into relationship with you. We give you thanks this day when we recognize that we belong. So in our belonging to you, will you show us this day the power of what it means to see everything that we have as belonging to you as well and give us the courage to take new steps in growing in our story of generosity so that our witness in the world is proven, demonstrated, by what we give of our lives for your kingdom. We pray these things in the name of Christ, the Lord of that kingdom, our Savior. Amen.